people from Washington State were being utilized to transport with their, their bodies and their, their luggage large amounts. I mean, these are large amounts of drugs to catch can that could be very damaging. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, police say two separate drug busts in Ketchikan found more than a thousand counterfeit opioid pills. Plus, cell phone and weather radio trouble in the southern panhandle. Later, the body of a Juno man who went missing last year has been found. And $8 million for a Petersburg hospital in a recent federal spending bill. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Widespread rain showers tonight with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 20 miles an hour gusting to around 40. On Thursday, numerous rain showers, highs in the mid-40s and south winds to 15 miles an hour. Chance of rain showers Thursday night with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. Friday, rain showers with highs in the mid-40s and southeast winds to 25 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Authorities have charged five people with attempting to smuggle drugs from Washington State into southeast Alaska. Ketchikan police say two separate recent busts turned up more than 1,400 counterfeit pills thought to contain fentanyl, plus large amounts of heroin and methamphetamine. It's the latest in a series of drug busts in the southern panhandle. While investigators don't believe the two cases are directly connected, the suspects in the two alleged drug smuggling cases used similar techniques, says Ketchikan Police Lieutenant Andy Berenson. People from Washington State were being utilized to transport with their, their bodies and their, their luggage large amounts. I mean, these are large amounts of drugs to Ketchikan that can be very damaging. The synthetic opioid fentanyl is thought to be especially dangerous because even small quantities can lead to fatal overdoses. He says the recent arrests and drug seizures in Ketchikan are part of an ongoing effort by local police and the Southeast Alaska Cities Against Drugs Task Force to clamp down on the movement of drugs into the panhandle. You generally have this set up as you're going to be some source of supply in Washington State, a person that essentially takes the risk for some incentive to bring them here to a person that then is kind of this, the next layer of distributor in Ketchikan. In the first case, police say 35-year-old Washington State resident Jamie Guyberson was arrested after arriving March 11th at Ketchikan's airport after police found fentanyl-laced pills, heroin, and methamphetamine in a search. Police say an investigation found that Guyberson had traveled to deliver the drugs to two Ketchikan residents. That's 29-year-old William Van Sice and 31-year-old Kendra Bartholomew, who was also arrested. In the second, police say they found more than 1,000 fentanyl pills plus heroin and meth on the person and in the belongings of 34-year-old Michelle Nelson of Washington State, who arrived from Seattle March 14th. Police say the shipment was intended for 37-year-old Ketchikan resident Angelina McDonald. All five suspects are facing felony drug charges. Berenson says the two recent sets of arrests targeted alleged couriers and local distributors. You don't have a courier without a responsible party on either end. And so if we can, if we can start with a person in Ketchikan who is distributing in the streets, which we feel like we have done in these two cases at least, you know, we can start trying to <coughs> cut the head off the snake a little bit. It's the latest in a series of busts announced by Ketchikan police as authorities seek to take a bite out of the supply of illicit opioids in the region. Last month, police working with the regional task force said they'd arrested a man and seized two dozen pills and $29,000 cash from a Creek Street hotel room. The department announced the seizure of nearly 3,000 similar pills and thousands in cash in December. And state troopers charged a woman in February 2021 with smuggling some 200 fake oxycodone pills and a half pound of heroin into Ketchikan. Police say for now there's not evidence that the cases are directly connected. KPD Detective Jack Ford, though, says informants are telling him that the seizures have had a measurable effect on the number of fentanyl-laced fake oxycodone pills on the street. He says the price of the small blue pills stamped M30 has risen significantly in Ketchikan.
The most recent street value has been between 80 and $100 a pill. That's fairly recent. It used to be there about 60 so we're glad to see that the price has gone up a little bit in the past month. Ford says the recent seizures have also helped slow the flow of opioids into smaller communities in the southern panhandle. We've seen that as a result of some of our more recent successful uh, investigations that the price of these pills on specifically Prince of Wales Island has dramatically increased and the availability has gotten very difficult to find them. So we found, uh, we've been able to look at these investigations where we're seizing large quantities of pills that has a very direct impact on the smaller communities. Berenson says police believe drugs also move north from Ketchikan into communities like Juneau and Sitka. While police say the couriers appear to be coming from the Seattle area, Berenson says authorities haven't identified the source of the pills themselves. All five defendants were assigned state-funded attorneys in their initial court appearances. The state public defender agency didn't respond to emails seeking comment on their behalf. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. An outage at a remote AT&T site near Juneau on Wednesday is affecting long-distance calls in the National Weather Service office in Juneau's connection to the emergency alert system in the southern panhandle. KRBD's Maria Dudzak reports. Ketchikan's city-owned phone and internet company, KPU Telecommunications, says AT&T had been having problems with long-distance, 800 numbers, and cell service in Ketchikan since Tuesday, but service went out completely about 2.45 Wednesday morning. In addition to cutting off AT&T long-distance, Ketchikan Public Utilities' Kim Simpson says the outage also left AT&T cell phone customers in the area unable to call local landlines and local landlines unable to call AT&T cell phones. There are people down south who had AT&T cell phones trying to call family members um, here on a landline or business here, and that wouldn't work. Um, the other thing that won't work is if people have 800 numbers, like for some of the seasonal businesses, some of the charter companies, they have an AT&T 800 number, and it gets called, it's not going to route. Simpson suggests texting, emailing, or private messaging businesses or individuals when phone calls won't go through. Simpson says other cell phone providers appear to be unaffected by the AT&T outage. AT&T cellular data service is also unaffected. AT&T declined an interview but offered a brief statement apologizing for the inconvenience and saying technicians are working as quickly as possible to restore service in the Ketchikan area, but weather conditions are impacting access to the site. It is unclear when service could be restored. The company did not respond to questions about the scope of the outage. The outage also appears to be affecting NOAA weather radio broadcasts in some communities, including Ketchikan, Juneau, Petersburg, and Wrangell. Radio stations in these communities currently can't receive audio weather reports or alerts. Jonathan Souk is a warning coordination meteorologist for the National Weather Service in Juneau. He says in the event of an emergency, alerts would be sent out through the federal national warning system shared by state, local, and federal partners. We are always in communication with our emergency management communities. And if something like that were to happen, that is a separate system that is not connected to the commercial lines like AT&T. That is another redundancy where we would be able to contact your local emergency manager through that, and then they would be able to get the word out that way. Souk added those with Internet access can get weather information from the National Weather Service online. Compatible mobile devices can also receive wireless emergency alerts from state, local, and federal authorities. In addition, those who sign up can also get email and text alerts through the Emergency Notification System, Nixle. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Maria Dudzak. 
Also, because of the outage, KRBD's signal is currently off on Prince of Wales Island. Our signal is sent to the island by phone by AT&T Long Distance. State health officials reported 16 new cases of COVID-19 in Ketchikan in their latest report on Wednesday, including data from Monday and Tuesday. In the past seven days, there have been 36 new positives recorded by state health authorities. No new deaths linked to COVID-19 were reported in Ketchikan by the state health department. 21 COVID-19-related deaths have been reported in Ketchikan. The state-issued COVID-19 alert level for Ketchikan is high. That is the maximum level. More information is available at data.coronavirus.alaska.gov. State COVID-19 data is updated Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the figures do not include at-home test results. For the Prince of Wales Hyder census area, state data shows seven new cases as of Wednesday, including data from Monday and Tuesday. 22 people have tested positive in the past seven days, not including at-home antigen test results. The state health department reported no new deaths linked to COVID-19. Eight COVID-19-related deaths have been reported in the census area, including Prince of Wales Island, Metlakatla, Hyder, and Cake. Authorities in Metlakatla reported two new cases of COVID-19 in an update issued Monday and Wednesday evening. Officials say four cases are active on the island, not including at-home test results. The risk level in Metlakatla is low. That's the lowest of three levels. There are updates about COVID-19 and mitigation measures at the Metlakatla Indian Community's Facebook page and at the Annette Island Service Unit's hotline. That's 907-617-7200. The body of a Juno man who's been missing since October of last year has been found. The state medical examiner's office confirmed that a body found in the Mendenhall wetlands last week is Clifford White. White's family reported him missing October 31st. According to Juno police, there were no, there were no search and rescue efforts for White when he was reported missing because there were no known places to search for him. White was 29 years old and Alaska native and the fifth person to go missing in Juno last year. White's case is still being investigated. Anyone with information on White's death should contact Juno Police at 907-586-0600 or make an anonymous tip at junocrimeline.com. The U.S. Congress last week passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus bill to keep the federal government operating. President Joe Biden signed it this week. Senator Lisa Murkowski and Congressman Don Young voted in favor of the bill. Senator Dan Sullivan did not. The bill includes billions in aid money to Ukraine and millions for projects in Alaska, including $8 million for a new hospital in Petersburg. KFSK's Angela Denning has more. The $8 million is directed to the Petersburg borough. It's great news. Borough manager Steve Giesbrek. It's huge. I mean, this is a, hospitals are an expensive proposition. It's, it's, it's really good news. CEO of the Petersburg Medical Center, Phil Hofstetter, couldn't agree more. Well, I'm very excited. Very excited. Petersburg Medical Center has been slowly working towards a new facility, planning to use outside funding over several years to get it done. The current facility is aging with plumbing and electrical problems, and it's undersized. Parts of it are over 50 years old. It's in the downtown area, and there's no room for building new in the same location. So PMC is looking at establishing a new site. Hofstetter says the $8 million will help pay for that initial phase of the project. The way we're trying to direct the cost is is really geared towards the site selection, environmental study, getting the full and complete planning and design. And obviously there's a lot of questions, unanswered questions in the community related to the exact cost. And I think this phase will help answer those questions in a more complete manner 
um, as well as looking towards getting some of the, the site prepared as well. Hofstetter says there is a long road ahead to getting a hospital built, but this appropriation means a lot. That support from, a, from the federal level really says a lot as far as potentially going after some other funding and, and really building off of that. The hospital's building is owned by the borough, but it is run separately by the medical center and the hospital board. Giesbrecht says the relationship between the borough's assembly and the hospital board is really good. He says they wouldn't have gotten the funding if it wasn't. You know, that's what that's all about is, is the two boards working together and, you know, trying to come together on a project that helps the whole community. Giesbrecht says there will be some paperwork involved for the borough from the appropriation. But the decision-making will be left up to the hospital board since they're the ones who have been working on the project. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. That's all for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone.